ladies and gentlemen. This is America's Healthcare Advocate. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Your guide to protecting your personal health. Bringing you simplified answers to the complex questions surrounding healthcare. Everything from cancer to liver transplants. Nutrition. Exercise. My yoga and Pilates instructor, Dana Goodale. Mental health and even pet care. Dr. Wayne Hunthausen, Westwood Animal Hospital. Empowering you to take control of your health and wellness. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy, just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. And now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer today, Ms. Shaylee Henning. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. 293 affiliates strong. Thanks to all of you in our listening audience. Our latest affiliate, The Cape, 95.7 in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I want to say thank you to Paul Vernon for all of his help when we were down there a couple of weeks ago doing shows. If you have questions or comments for me, you can go to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Send me an email. I will get back to you as quickly as I can, answer any questions you have or concerns. Also, if you want to follow me on Facebook, you can do that at America's Healthcare Advocate. All these shows are posted on the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. If you want to tell somebody somebody about a show you hear or you want to go back up and listening to listen to a show. Well, we have in studio with us today Ryan Lefevre again from broadcaster from the Kansas City Royals in his 24th season joining us. Thank you. Good to see you, Carrie. Yeah, it took a little while to get this together, but we got it together. <laughs> we made so it work. We're just we're just happy you're here. And Kristen Gernon from Blue Cross and Blue Shield uh, in studio with us today, a behavioral health specialist. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. As I said, Ryan Lefevre is in his 24th season as a broadcaster for the Kansas City Royals, but we're not talking about baseball today. We're talking about mental health issues, and we're going to be talking a lot about anxiety and depression and the battle that Ryan has fought for his life regarding those issues. We refer to a book that he wrote called The Shame of Me, and some of those excerpts in that book as we move through the broadcast. But let me tell you a little bit about Kristen. Kristen Gernon is a behavioral health training and development specialist for Mindful Blue KC at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City. She is a licensed experienced social worker. Kristen's clinical work has been largely focused on behavioral health needs of children and their families. She obtained her bachelor's degree from the University of Kansas and her master's from Fordham University in New York City. Kristen has worked in various leadership roles in child welfare, community mental health, and managed health care in Kansas City metro area. Kristen lives in Brookside with her husband, her eight-year-old son, and her dog. So welcome here. We're Thank glad you. to have you on board. So, Ryan, I'm going to kind of start off with a little excerpt out of this book because the book is called The Shame of Me. It's available on Amazon if you want to get it. It's a great read. Um, and I'm going to start with this little piece, and this, this first part here is called Emptiness. To most people, I'm sure I didn't fit the profile of a person who would suffer from anxiety, depression on the surface. My life probably seemed pretty blessed. I was 34 years old, not bad looking, owned a wonderful house on the lake, had great friends, and worked a dream job to, to most sports fans, television and radio announcer for Major League Baseball team, the Kansas City Royals. But it was more, it was more than a decent life, right? But none of that seemed to matter to me, and it certainly didn't matter to my disorder. So just take it from there and talk about what 
first of all, you had to recognize you had mm -hmm. a problem, okay? And this was a reoccurring theme in your life, and that's what led you to write this book. Okay, let's just talk about that, Ryan. Yeah, that was 17 years ago. I'm not 34 years old anymore. Every time you read that, well, you Carrie, look like I think, it. oh, man, to be 34 <laughs> again. But, yeah, I – well, first of all, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was surrounded by image, and I was in a family of people who had achieved quite a bit professionally, and for me, that was the road toward happiness. I mean, that's, that's all I knew, really. And so um, – I was an athlete in high school and in college, and that was going to bring me fame and fortune and happiness. And then uh, I quit playing baseball shortly into a minor league career. And so then I got into another high-profile uh, business, getting into broadcasting on radio and television. And I love my job. I, I really ha And I've loved it every year I've had it. But truth be told, if I were, were to go back to the beginning, it was because it was a high-profile if people knew me and admired me and I had things and a reputation, whatever, walk into a sports bar after a game and everybody recognizes me and wants to buy me a drink, that with that would come happiness. I mean, that's just kind of what that's what television commercials were telling me when I was watching sports. And um, very young, very early um, into my depression, and I, and I go back to elementary school, and shortly after that, into junior high school and into high school, I began drinking alcohol quite a bit. And I thought at the time that I was just another knucklehead high schooler, college kid. I was getting into some trouble because of my drinking. But I just chalked it up to bad decisions and I shouldn't have done this. I wish I could have done that over again. But it wasn't until years later that I realized that I was medicating myself. I was self-medicating. There was something inside of me that did not feel adequate in my surroundings. And if I wasn't achieving what I hoped to achieve, I wouldn't be accepted. There was, there was no thought or concept of self or how I was created, who I was created, what my individual skills were and what I brought to the world. It was all about what I had and who I knew. And as I got older, it just got worse because I did begin to achieve a lot of things that I set out to achieve. But there was just more and more emptiness. So the long answer to your short question and getting back to your introduction was when I realized that there and, – and at that point, I had quit drinking for several years – and that was going to clean up my life. But what you read there was when I got to the point where I had pretty much done everything I had hoped to do, I had made positive changes in my life, and yet here I was, as empty as I'd ever been in my life. So it was almost like I was fed this lie of, if you want to be happy, this is what you need to do. And I did it, and I was so far down that road that I realized that I needed help to get back to where I needed to be. You know, it's interesting that I go on to this, Christian. In that same chapter, he says, I knew something was terribly wrong with me. I'd experienced this grip of sadness before. And then he goes on to talk about it in greater detail. How many people out there, you know, I've read this and some of the things that the folks at Blue Cross sent over today about mindfulness and the program at Blue Cross. How important is it, you just heard Ryan talk about this, to recognize, I've got a problem. Okay, and before you can fix a problem or start to deal with the problem, you got to realize that you got a problem, right? That's so true. And and I really appreciate what Ryan had to say. You know, I often think about it uh, as like those those cartoons 
where a cloud hangs over one person and, and everybody else is going about their day and the sun's out for everyone else, but that cloud mm. sort of lingers. Um, I think about it that way often, but you can't think your way through this as an intellectual. You can't practice your way through it as an, as an athlete. You can't just practice enough that you get through it. So you think about people who are at the top of their game, who have everything going for them from the outside, and you just can't push through it. So that's that helps, I think, for people to understand it who have gone through it. But, but it's true. It impacts one in five adults um, at any given moment. One in five of us um, is living with a mental health condition. And that adds up to about 47, 48 million people. And, and I should put a caveat on that, that, that those are statistics from prior to the pandemic. And we don't really know what this looks like through the pandemic and in the future. But a lot of smart people are predicting that the uh, behavioral health crisis is going to linger long after the physical health crisis of COVID-19. Which kind of brings me to another point, and it's something that you're a specialist in, and that is children. And before we go to break, talk a little bit about that, because children were dramatically impacted mm-hmm. by this COVID thing. They, they were the ones that weren't able to go to school. They were the ones that had to go to school with masks on and deal with all of this stuff. And so talk about the impact of this and children with these kinds of issues. Kristen? Oh, I think that's a really important point. I actually spent the day yesterday working with some of our top educators in the KC metro area providing youth mental health first aid, which is a really great tool. It's a a training tool. But hearing from those administrators, those principals on the ground, boots on the ground in our schools, talking about kids, and it's not just the academic deficits that they're experiencing because of COVID, but also that socialization deficit um, that they're experiencing. Uh, Some some kids coming into kindergarten who have had very little socialization, if you think about this being a two-year-old um, pandemic, but yes, kids are hit, are hit very hard, and we often hear the that kids are so resilient and they can bounce back from so many things. But the truth is that kids have are really struggling and really suffering right now. You know that's interesting because my granddaughter's four years old, and my daughter's never had as much trouble getting her to preschool as she's mm-hmm. been having lately. Mm-hmm. And getting her through the door has become quite a challenge because she'll she'll make up a story right. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I got to go home. And then Andrea's got to go, no, we're in school. You're going to school today and then coax her to do it. But this didn't happen until after the COVID thing where she's been home for almost two years and not been able to interact. And there she is at that very young age. So it's interesting. (laughs) It is. So we're going to come right back after the break. We've got more with Ryan LaFever in studio with us today and Kristen Gernon from Blue KC. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. I'm going to tell you about an interesting film when we come back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Also, all these shows are up on the podcast platform. This is a pretty important show today. 
about mental health, anxiety, these kinds of issues. You heard Kristen talk about children and adults with the issue. It's significant. If you want to tell somebody about this, maybe there's somebody in your family, in your church, or whatever the case may be, go back up to one of the podcast platforms that I mentioned, Apple Play, Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, etc., and they can listen to the whole show over again. Uh, it could be very helpful, and sometimes we get a lot of feedback on these different shows. That's a great place to go listen to the show. My producer, Ms. Shaley Henning, I'm your host, Carrie Hall, in studio with me, Ryan LaFever from the Kansas City Royals and Kristen Vernon from Blue KC, and we are talking about mental health issues of anxiety and depression. So, Ryan, your mother was a flight attendant. Your father was a professional baseball player, Mm -hmm. Jim LaFever. I mean, you know, we have this picture over here of you being very, very successful, what you were doing, you broadcasting, Kansas City Royals, the whole nine yards, and then you come from a background of very successful people. So talk a little bit about that, okay, and you know, you, you've, you've, you've got this idyllic family. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how all of that played into your being around your father and baseball. And were you even able to think about these issues then? Because that's not something people want to talk about. No, but I think at a pretty young age, I recognized that there was something inside of me that was wrong and was, was different from my peers, just how I reacted to certain things. I, I, I couldn't label it. I didn't understand what was going on, but I knew that I, I felt deeper than my friends at a very young age. Uh, my parents separated when I was 18 months old. They were divorced by the time I was five, so I never really got to see mom and dad together uh, loving each other. Hating each other, yes, but not loving each other. And I grew up in Los yeah. Angeles in the 70s and the 80s. And I don't know what the national divorce rate is right now, but it was everyone. That was the thing to do. That was the beginning of no-fault divorce. And so people weren't happy in their marriage. That was just the end of it. So I had mom and dad um, uh, very unhappy with each other, both uh, with one with a very high-profile job, the other one with a very glamorous job. I mean, you say flight attendant. It was a stewardess back then, if oh, you yeah. remember. And I mean, yep. I don't know how how well they did in serving the people on the airplane in those days. That wasn't their job. I mean, they were that was a, you were a runway model working on an, on an airplane. So yep. there was some image that went with that as well. So I go back to my first answer, you know, image, image, image. And I was an only child until my parents both remarried and I was 13 and they started having kids. So I was alone at home basically as the only child suffering from my parents' divorce and bad decisions and, and whatever. So there was a lack of structure at home internally. Externally, it was a lot what you just described, Carrie. He was a major league baseball player and coach. Great. Mom had retired from being a, a stewardess at that time, but she was very successful in real estate and so that's, that's the environment that I grew up in. It was all about what it looked like on uh-huh. the outside, not what was going on on the inside, which is very symbolic for me because much of my childhood looked pretty good on the outside. But on the inside, um, I was having a lot of emotional problems. And I didn't have resources like Kristen. And there were school counselors, but that had more to do with resolving issues at school. It wasn't necessarily sitting a child down and asking, how are you doing at home and, and being able to connect in that way. So we were just kind of expected to survive it all and, and hang on to the facade and just hope we survived what was going on on the inside. So, Kristen, you know, when you talk about divorce, that's traumatic. It's very traumatic for kids, okay, extremely traumatic. Parents separate. That, that's their anchor in life, those two parents, and now they're apart. And as very much in 
many, many, many of these divorces, the kids get caught in the middle and the parents are going back and forth and the kids like the punching bag. What does that do in terms of bringing about this kind of situation where now if you have an issue to start with, it exacerbates the thing uh, and it becomes even greater, I would think. I would agree with that. I think that's a, a very good observation. I think kids are in a situation like that and might go to a lots of go a lots of different directions. They might create chaos. They might um, try to be so easy to deal with that nobody has any conflict, right? They might, um, you know, rise to the top of whatever they're they're doing in that moment just to try to keep the peace, you know, to make it as easy as possible on their parents. You know, if they're spending half of their time with one or the other, they're going to try to be on top of their game with each parent individually and try to, um, you know, just, just make sure that that parent gets the best experience they possibly can of them. And that often leads to the word you said, facade, I think is very important because I think that is often what ends up happening. The, the person becomes a shell of who they are they, they, with an outward appearance that doesn't match the inside. And that internal struggle and conflict um, just can really exacerbate whatever kind of emotional challenges might already have existed or might create those if they weren't already there. So, the, the num- so, so would it be fair to say, and a lot of people are listening to this, have got families, if you're a grandparent like I am mm-hmm. uh, and you've seen, uh, you know, luckily we've not had this issue in my family, thank God, but if you're a grandparent and you see this going on, how do you recognize this in a child? Ryan didn't have anybody to recognize it and say, hey, we need to get into some kind of therapy or do something. Mm-hmm. How, 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 how do they do that? How do they understand that this kid's getting really reclusive or he's acting out or she's not acting? The behavior is very different. What, what do they look for? Well, I think that's a really tough one because in, in this we're starting to touch upon stigma because I think stigma is part of what prevents everyone. It prevents parents from saying, you know, I think my child is struggling. Um, Stigma prevents them from acknowledging that maybe my child has an issue because that might reflect upon them. Stigma prevents children from reaching out if they know that there's something going on. Stigma prevents people at all ages and all socioeconomic groups um, from reaching out for the assistance that they need. There's often not a language for even how to do so. Yeah, and I don't want that in my records. Right. I, I don't want anybody right. to know about that. What, what, what if somebody gets a hold of that or they see that or whatever the case may be? So they don't mm-hmm. do that. And then it, in an adult, you have a decision to make. You can say, hey, you know, I know something's wrong. I feel really sad. I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. But a child, that's a different deal. So are you looking for behavioral markers? I mean, if you're the grandparent and this child looks mm-hmm. significantly different to you now than he did six months ago, it, is it time to... Do something, Ryan? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm reminded again, it's not the first time I thought of this, but what would my life have looked like had someone recognized that in me at a younger age, and I was able to express what was going on. I was able to deal with what was going on in the inside, and the word that keeps coming up is stigma. There was a, there was a stigma. And, and as you said too, Carrie, this isn't something that you want to have on your record, Thankfully, we're getting to a place now where um, mental health is being seen a lot more like physical health, that there's something, you know, if my, my knee, left knee hurts, which it does, if I go to an orthopedic surgeon and have him take a look at it, um, no one's going to, you know, look at me sideways because of that. But if I have some feelings that are bothering me and I go to a doctor to have them look at it, for some reason, those two were not equal. They're becoming more equal. Because yeah, you can't see it. It's not cancer, right. it's not Parkinson's, it's mm-hmm. not something that's clear, 
but it's there and it's important. We come back from the break. We're going to continue the conversation. I will tell you about this movie when we get back from the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Send me an email. If you've got a question, I'll be happy to answer it. If you have a suggestion or I can help you with anything, please send me an email. I'm happy to do so. Our producer, Ms. Shaylee Henning. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. In studio with me, Ryan Lefevre, Kansas City Royals broadcaster, and the author of the book, Shame on Me. We're talking about um, mindfulness issues here. We're talking about mental health issues, anxiety, and depression. Also in studio with me, Kristen Gernon from Blue KC. By the way, their website is bluekc.com. The whole mindfulness program is up there on the website. If you want to go up and explore this or learn more about it, how to get a provider, maybe you need some help or you know somebody in the family that does. So there's an opportunity there to go up and learn more about that. All right, I promised in both segments we were going to do this. Um, I, I happened to be out with some folks today at lunch, and they told me about about this film that you're in, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so let's talk a little bit about this film called Just Like You, Anxiety and Depression. Ryan? The producer is Jen Greenstreet, and she has a series of films called Just Like You, and then they tackle a certain issue. Uh, <coughs> this mine, or the I'm a subject in anxiety and depression. They've done uh, diabetes, whatever. And so I was invited in February of 2020 to go to the premiere of this film at the Nelson Adkins in Kansas City and moderate a Q&A with the subjects of the film after the premiere. And my story is well known by now, my struggle with depression in the book, and, and I've, I've spoken many times about it, so they thought I'd be a good moderator. So the film plays, I go up there on the stage and we have a wonderful conversation. There's a, there's a, a group of extremely brave young men and women, um, teenage-ish, little give or take. Um, and then Abby Eden, who's a television anchor in Kansas City on the Fox affiliate, and she also was a subject of the film, and she hadn't talked much about her depression. So I go up there and moderate, and it was a great evening. Well, COVID hits, and that slowed down the flow of the production of the movie and the distribution and whatever. All, all things obviously were put on hold. And in the meantime, the producers, I guess, got together and said, I wonder if Ryan would be interested in being a subject in the film and could we just kind of edit him into the film? So they asked me and my honest response was that I, I didn't want to do it. And here was the reason, not because I wasn't, didn't want to tell my story. I've told my story ad nauseum in Kansas City at least. But, and this ties into Kristen, is I wanted the focus of the film to be on these kids because the courage it took these kids to talk about their experiences honestly, um, genuinely. And the film not only highlights each of these kids, boys and girls, but a friend that walked alongside them during their journey. And it's wonderfully done because you hear from the person suffering from depression and the person who embraced that friend and walked alongside them. And you get to hear both sides, both perspectives. And so... I don't know how to say this any more modestly, but I feel like I've already taken my bows for 
coming out and talking about my depression. It was time for someone else to tell their story. So I didn't want to overshadow that in any way. But the more we talked about it, young men and women were represented in the film. Abby Eden, an adult professional woman, was in the film. There wasn't a, an adult male presence in the film. So I agreed to do it. And, um, and they did a wonderful job. And so, yeah, just like you, Anxiety and Depression, it's available on iTunes and other, other platforms. And it's, it's, not, it's not narrated in any way. It's really all of us just telling our stories with, uh, with just like you films coming into our environments and just you know, videoing each of us in our different environments and just telling our stories. Pretty remarkable. If you're interested in this, maybe you want to go up and look at this or you may want to, you know, it might be a good idea to go listen to this. If you think you've got a child or maybe there's an adult in your family who may have an issue, it might be a great insight. Again, the film is called Just Like You. It's Anxiety and Depression, and it is on iTunes. You can probably Google it and see if it's on other platforms. Let's talk a little bit about that, Kristen, and how these kinds of things. You've got, um, Blue KC has got a, a thing called Playbook, and since we're, we've got a baseball <laughs> broadcaster in studio with us. Let's talk a little about the Stigma playbook uh, and, and what Blue Cross Blue Steel does, because we talked about this stigma thing before, and whether it's children or it's adults, it's an issue. This is something I'm really passionate about, the stigma piece. And, um, and so I've been working on developing an anti-stigma playbook that we can give to people, that we can give to our um, the groups that we work closely with as part of our training strategy. Helping people to know what words to use, what words not to use, what words in increase stigma and make people feel more marginalized. How to be able to make it as comfortable to share with someone that I'm going to see my therapist every Thursday as it would be to say, I gotta go to the dentist this week. Mm -hmm. You know, how can we I'm get never to comfortable a saying I have to go to the dentist. <laughs> I just want to point that out. That's a fair, yeah, uh, that maybe okay. not a good comparison. Yeah. But, um, but we want to get people talking about this. We want people to come out of the shadows. We know statistically that everywhere you go, you're surrounded by people who are living with mental health conditions and people, and, and all of us love people in our lives who are living with um, behavioral health conditions. And if we're not talking about it, it's, it's truly the elephant in the room um, that we need to be talking about because people are dying. Um, the suicide rate in this country has increased so dramatically over the last 20 years that we have to do something and we have to bring this out of the shadows and shine a spotlight on it so that it is not, um, it's not something to be sh ashamed of um, and to help people to understand that just like the, the knee analogy, you mm -hmm. know, this is a brain or this is a mind um, challenge that somebody's living with. And, um, and we need to look at it that way. We need it to look at it that way. You know, it, it's interesting. There's a big age gap in this room. I'm the oldest one in the room at 72 years of age. But, I, you know, we talk about kids. When I grew up, kids could be pretty damn cruel. Okay. And and if I have four, they're still pretty cruel. Okay, so, that, 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 so. Was, that's exactly where I was going to go with yeah. this. Okay, yeah. so you know, you mentioned you know in this film where these 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 young people had the person that walked along with them. Yeah. So I, how how did they express how important that was for them, and how do they how do you how do how did, did they get involved in a program where somebody was able to do that for them and they weren't the object? You know, with social media and these kids these days, yeah. it, it's pretty brutal out there for a lot of the stuff that goes on. Well, so I think there was equal courage in the film of not just the young adult admitting the depression, but the, the young adult that came alongside and had the courage to ask them, how are you doing? And to sit with them and... Um, you remember the movie Goodwill Hunting? Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. Well. Yeah. And there's that that really emotional scene between Robin Williams and Matt Damon 
when Matt Damon finally breaks down from all his, his, his pain and fear. And Robin Williams keeps saying over and over again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And, and Matt Damon has all these different, and I write about this in the book, Matt Damon has all these different layers of reaction to it until finally the layers are gone and he just breaks down. And in reaching out to someone with this, it takes a lot of how are you doing? And when you hear fine, because that's what a guy is mostly going to say, if you know somebody well enough and you know that they're not fine, sometimes it takes a no, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, how are you doing? And so, so I'm just as impressed with the young adults who stuck with these friends because, and, and this is no fault of kids. This is a lot to take on if you're a teenager to help somebody who's going through something you have no idea how to help them. But for me, at least, and, and this led to me wanting to write the book, was that, I mean, I had um, a counselor. I had a life coach. I was going to seminars. I was reading books. I mean, I decided if I'm going to survive this thing or if I don't survive this thing, I'm going to go down swinging. I was on medication for three and a half years, and all were helpful. But the most helpful and inspiring thing for me were people who went through what I went through and, and they knew what I was going through and they, and they would share their personal experience with me so that I could look at them and say, this person went through what I went through and they look normal now. They've gotten to the other side of it. And it kind of goes back to the knee thing. You know, if we're all talking and I say my knee hurts and you say to me, Carrie, you know, my knee hurt too. And I ended up going to the doctor and had surgery on it and they clean it up. And I'm so glad I did that. I feel so much better. No big deal. But if someone says, I just haven't been feeling right lately, and someone in the room says, well, I have a therapist, and I go to my therapist once or twice a week, and if you do it too, I think you'll feel better. It's, that's it probably won't make happy hours. For some reason, that's uncomfortable, uh, uh -huh. and it's too bad, because we're talking. both of them are medical conditions. Correct. Yeah. yeah it's, so the answer to that is, I thought that was very interesting, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. How are you doing? No, I ask you, how are you doing? So the first step, if we go back to some of the previous conversation, is how are you doing, mm -hmm. you would say? Yes. I how think, important is that before we go to break? I think it's very important, and I think sitting with the person and just being quiet sometimes and mm -hmm. letting that person be and accepting them exactly as they are and knowing and, and building that trust so that person will come to you when they are ready to say, you know, actually, I'm not doing okay. And it's going to take a few times, and it's going to take some um, probably some real trust building to get to that place. The movie is Just Like You, Anxiety and Depression. Um, you might want to go take a look at it. It's on iTunes. Uh, it's up there. I think it might be very helpful to a lot of folks. We'll be back after the break to wrap it up. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website. Pretty interesting show, right? If you know somebody that's got an issue, you think maybe somebody's got an issue, podcast platforms, it's up there on all the podcast platforms. You can go listen to this show up there or tell somebody that you think needs to listen to it to go up and listen to it. My producer, Ms. Shaley Henning, I'm your host, Carrie Hall. In studio with me, Ryan Lefevre, Royals broadcaster in his 25th 
to the season, and Kristen Gerson uh, from Blue KC, a behavioral health specialist. The movie that we just talked about is called Just Like You, Anxiety and Depression. It is on iTunes. So there's a story in the book we talked about that's the last time we did this show, Ryan, where you um, and one of the players, uh, Mike Sweeney, are in New York City. Um, and you've been in, you've been in treatment now. You've been going through treatment, and and you you go to a play if I remember it correctly. Yeah. And you literally think you're going to have to be taken out of there in an ambulance. Yeah. Um, you went out to I think a Chinese restaurant before Good that. Memory. Yeah. And, and yeah, for a guy 72, no Alzheimer's yet. And 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 just talk about that experience a little bit. And then I want you, Kristen, to talk to talk about the fact this this is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. So Ryan. So that was a that was the maybe the roughest night I had, but it was a blessing too because I I began to look at it through different lenses. Like maybe there is something physically wrong with me. This isn't a, a matter of my willpower that I can just will myself out of this. So we had a game at Yankee Stadium, and uh, Mike Sweeney was playing for the Royals, and he and I had become friends. And he and I, with a group of people, went to this fancy New York restaurant. I think it was called Tao T A O. It was the in place to be, and it was. You know, because of their baseball connections, we got in and I felt the world just collapsing in on me. And it was the first time that my depression morphed into anxiety. And I never, I mean, like severe anxiety. And I was never someone anxious in crowds. But I mean, I just felt like this room was just cramped. I thought it was louder than it actually was. I thought I was going to pass out in the restaurant. I mean, I literally thought, okay, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to die. And poor Mike's going to have to go to Yankee stadium tomorrow and explain what happened to Ryan Lefevre at the Chinese restaurant. I mean, I literally, it could have been the Chinese food, but we won't go there. (laughs) I mean, I even did the old scene from a movie where I went into the bathroom and splashed some cold water in my face because I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought my heart was going to explode. From there, we went to the the musical, the producers, and uh, we had great seats. And I, I just, I was dead inside. I mean, I just got to a point where I couldn't fake it anymore. And and Mike knew, and and I think he was picking up on things. Yeah, that how were, are you? Yeah, exactly. And on the cab ride home, he just kind of put his arm around me on the cab ride back and really didn't have anything to say. Like Kristen said in the last segment, just sitting with somebody, getting under that dark cloud that seems to be following them and 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 sitting with them. And I went to bed that night, and I just couldn't sleep. I mean, my heart was just racing the blessing part was, is that's when I started to realize um, maybe this isn't just emotional. Maybe there's something going on with, because I was losing control of my body, basically my brain and my heart and my breathing and sweating. And I mean, I just, and so that's when I, that's when I went to go see a doctor about medication, um, which, which I, which I would say is a good idea in situations like this, but I was also fortunate in that my best friend is in the pharmaceutical business and he coached me from the very beginning that these are medications that are designed to get off of at some point. Uh-huh. And I think there is a problem now tying pharmaceuticals and mental health together that you take a pill and you're, you're good and it, and it keeps you out of Kristen's office. It keeps you out of doing the work that triggers all the anxiety and the depression. So, so it was, that was a, a really rough night but it led me down a pretty good path. So, Kristen, th- that's the segue I want to make. Okay. So he, he was actually getting treatment, but it wasn't working. So mm-hmm. in his case, he got a med, the med helped. He got mm-hmm. off the med, but the key line there was these meds are designed for you to get off of, mm-hmm. not designed for you to become addicted to. But So how important is it 
you know, he talks about physical characteristics. Most people, when they think of somebody having mental issues, whether it's anxiety or depression, would never think that, oh, my God, you're going to have physical you're going to have mm. physical reaction. Just talk about that. Oh, I think that's very important because what we have, and by we, I mean the scientific community has learned, is that the physical and the mental are so intricately tied together that you can't separate them out. The one affects the other so dramatically that um, that's what ends up happening is that the body ends up, um, the body keeps the score. There's a There's a famous book about about trauma that talks about how the body keeps the score of everything that's going on in our lives. But um, but yes, that it does manifest itself in very physical ways. Some people, some of this, for many of us, it's biological. For many of us, it's genetic. It, there are lots of different causes. Some, sometimes it's trauma that ultimately leads us to having behavioral health challenges. But um, for some people, they may need to be on medication for quite a bit longer. Um, and it's not about it being addictive per se. It's more about what's needed to get them to sort of a level that they can be receptive to the therapy. Mm -hmm. They can be receptive to the mindfulness practices. They can even, their mind can quiet enough that they can actually engage in the treatment that can help them to get to that next um, level of health. So Ryan, we're, gonna, we're wrapping it up. We're, we're, gonna, we're out just about out of time here and down two minutes. If there's a takeaway message to people out there listening, because you're a survivor, you've gone through mm -hmm. this, you've come out the other side of it, marriage, you, you got three children or four children? Four. Okay, you've got four. <laughs> Feels like eight, but yeah. it's only four. <laughs> I, I did a head count say. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't cause anxiety. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what would the takeaway message to people listening is to be, if even if they suspect it's them or it's somebody in their family? One of the first things my counselor taught me at the beginning, just so I could self-diagnose what was going on in my life, is she talked about an incongruency in my life. There was an incongruency between my actual life circumstances and how I felt about my life. So if, if you're lying in bed at night or daydreaming in the car or the office, whatever, and, and, and imagining your life to be something that it isn't and you're fearing that it isn't and it's keeping you from being as productive as you normally are or enjoying the things in life that you normally enjoy, you have a medical condition or I should say you likely have a medical condition. And there are so many more doctors now to handle this than there were when I went through this back in 2005. And, and there, the shame degree is much lower than it, than it used to be. And so if, if you can get to a point where you treat this as a medical condition, not a personal weakness, but a medical condition, and, and go and talk to somebody who's trained to help you, that's a huge first step. And that is the first step, and that's what people need to take as the first step, right, Kristen? That's so true. And and behavioral health conditions are so overwhelmingly treatable. Um, and, and that's and what they need that's to the understand. Hope. There's a Thank lot of you hope. both for doing this today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Thank you, Kristen, Thank you for coming very much. in and do it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. Truer words were never spoken. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America. Yeah, I'm a love struck baby. You got me love struck baby.